Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Is everybody happy to be here? My name, if you don't know already, is Kathy Ortiz. And as an introduction to myself, which I haven't been up here in quite a while now, <clears throat> I am part of the leadership team and have been a part of this church family for 14 years now. It just seems like yesterday, but I'm so thankful for this church and for the times that they have stood by me and encouraged me and lifted me up during the most difficult times of my life. But now we're on better days, and we have a new year, and we are going to have a couple of announcements. First, we're going to have um, Bill Blessard come up and share with us about our building uh, endeavor. And then we'll have Bob Glover come up and share with us about um, our missionary friends, Emma and Renzo, in Guatemala. Thanks, Sister Kathy. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here. Isn't it good to be in this building? Uh, I cannot wait until the pandemic is over and we can meet face to face and, uh, and hug. People are coming over and saying, I really want to come over and say hello to you in person. So, you know, that really emphasizes how important in the body a building is. So we meet here on Sundays in this building, which has been a fantastic provision from God. But it's really important for us as a church family to have a home base, to have a place that we call home on Sundays, that we can come and have activities, have weddings. Uh, the pastors can have offices, we can have staff, and we can have a place that we call home. And so in late summer, uh, we endeavored to put together a building committee. I want to introduce to you the building committee this morning. It is uh, Max and Karen Isaacson. Uh, it is Jackie and Scott Sharon. And it is Jeff and Michelle Torres. Jeff, just another ministry to be involved in, brother. He's such a, he's such a doer. And Carolyn Rodriguez represents us in uh, our endeavors to find realty, and she's doing a wonderful job. So we got together with uh, Pastor Brian and Pastor Jamie, and we talked a little bit about the vision. And so without a vision, the people perish, right? So we want a vision. We want to know where we're going. So we put together as a committee with the pastors uh, kind of an outlay of what we wanted for a building. And then we endeavored to go out and look for some land. We endeavored, we prayed. Let me just back up. We prayed first. That's always a good thing, isn't it? To ask God, what does he have for us in the future? And so we prayed and we started looking at land and meeting as a committee and meeting with the pastors. And we looked at lots of different pieces of land and we, we knock on doors. Um, not every piece of land is a perfect fit. Uh, not every building is a perfect fit, and we found that. But I come to you today with news that we have actually found a building that we think is an amazing opportunity for the church, huh? And that building is the Fairhaven Roller Rink. 22,000 square feet, three acres of prime real estate in Fairhaven. I was thinking this morning that we, wouldn't, we may even need to change some things in the church because the reality is we could have some, I can imagine the banners we could put out, right? You know, couples skate with Jesus tonight. You know, Jesus rolled me over. You know, skate on over to Christ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pastor Brian's like, get him off. Um, the only contingency that we're putting in for the building when in the offer we're going to be making is that we keep the, um, the disco ball in, in the middle. 
we actually didn't want that, but Brian demanded it. He said, no, I've got to have that. <laughs> That's right. I have, I don't have, well, the, actually, straight leg or back end, Brian, just so you know. Uh, so, so we're, so we're uh, meeting. What we ask, we're going to be rolling things out uh, in the next few weeks to you to let you know how you can be involved. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, we're going to be, you know what? I didn't even do that. Look at that. I'm better than I even know now. Um, so we're going to be rolling things out for you, put together a mature process. We're going to be looking at some finance uh, options. We're going to be coming to the church and, and asking you to invest. Um, you know, when the, when in the Old Testament, when the temple was built, people brought their best. And so we want to bring our best as well. So uh, we want to just ask you to pray about this opportunity. Um, you take a, take a roll by. Uh, I can't help myself now. Take a, when, when you're on your way home from church, just take a, a cruise by and take a look at the building. Um, you can pray about many things. We're praying right now about what to offer. We're looking at some pledges that have already been made. We're going to be looking at some finance options. Um, but it looks like a really uh, cool place. There's plenty of parking. It's really just a big area with a hardwood floor in the middle. You, if you ever rolled there, then you know. Um, and uh, it's got a, a little bit of a cement walkway, which could make a nice cafe. All kinds of amazing ideas, but it's basically just a large open space. Mini, uh, mini yes. <laughs> Kathy, uh, imagine the, the next chili cook-off being in a, in a miniature golf course, yeah. So anyway, so be in prayer about that. Um, uh, without wisdom, a house is not built, right? The Lord says that wisdom is what the house is built upon. So thank you very much. Good morning, Kathy. I'll give it to you. Thank you, Bill. And Bob Glover, would you come up and enlighten us on the stoves for Emma and Renzo and the people of Guatemala? Thanks, Kathy. All right, it's hard for me to follow that one. Okay, um, <laughs> some of you may know historically, about a year and a half ago, we got involved in um, presenting the opportunity to Emma and Renzo, uh, providing the funds to have stoves installed in houses in Guatemala. Um, there are many, many, many families there that cook literally in open fires inside their house. And so all that soot and creosalt, everything just sort of collects in the house, and so everybody's breathing that. And so we found out that for about $240, we could install a stove with the brick, the cast iron, the flue to go up through the ceiling. And so we started collecting funds for that. We stepped out in faith. And so last year, we put in a stove a month um, down in uh, Guatemala. So that was funds that came from you folks. Um, again, this is above and beyond what you give monthly. This has nothing to do with what you give monthly. This is people just giving out of their hearts. And so that's what happened. They would um, have about probably 25 more families that this, they could do this for, of people they touch base with every, every day in their ministry. Um, I talked to Emma and Renzo recently. They really need um, financial funds right now for meals for the next three months, basically January, February, March, um, because just like, you know, even here in the States and all over the world, 
People in Guatemala are suffering tremendously. They don't have jobs because of COVID, um, so they've been distributing food. So for those three months, money that we collect is going towards food. But starting in April, we're going to start with the stoves again. The point is, is if you're interested in doing that, um, contact myself or Becky or anybody on the leadership team. They can give you my email, and I collect the funds and forward it down to their ministry center, which is in Texas, YWAM in Tyler, Texas. We get that money to them, and they transfer it uh, through their banking system down to Guatemala for them. All right, so again, if you're interested in that, it was a great success. We got lots of pictures. I can send you all kinds of information about it, but it was really, really just a blessing to see what the smiles on all these families' faces. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it, once you email me, I'll give you the details, but if you do write checks, it's about $240 for the whole year, so you can split it up into a monthly donation if you'd like, uh, whatever is easier. Um, but we write the checks out to YWAM, um, not to them directly. It has to do with money laundering overseas and all that kind of stuff, so we have to abide by their financial regulations um, that we do that for. So that's it. Again, you can get my email from the leadership team or Kathy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. And now if you'll all stand and we will start with our singing and praising the Lord through song. Good morning, church. Thank you. It is beautiful to be in the house of God. Amen. Uh, I just had a few things I wanted to say. Uh, I started this year off, you know, wanting to memorize more scripture and I did this program, and the, the first scripture was, I'll see if it worked, First uh, Thessalonians 5.11, which says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. And it really got me thinking, like, is that what we're doing? Are we building each other up, or are we busy with everything else? I just think that we have to remember that our first call, above and beyond anything else in this life, is to be a beacon for the light of Christ. Amen? And so especially in this political time, in this uh, just terrible time, really, there is no better time to shine for Jesus. Amen. And I ran across this, um, the prayer of St. Francis. I don't know if some of you know this. But it says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love where there is injury, pardon, where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. Praise you, God. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. If we could all just make that our prayer and make our number one priority to be God's instrument for peace. Maybe the light of Christ would reveal itself as more essential than most people are looking at it today. It is the very breath of God. Amen. Praise you, Lord. There is grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. 
And when I look at the space between what I used to be and this reckoning, I know I'll never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. Should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free? There is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There is another in the fire. Praise you, God. All my debt left for dead beneath the waters. All my death left for dead beneath the waters. I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore. And should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning? Either way, I won't bow to the things of this world. Hallelujah. And I know There is another in the fire standing next to me. There is another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding what power set me free? There is a grave that holds no body. Now that power lives in me. There is another in the fire. There is another in the fire. There is another in the fire. Whoa, whoa. Another in the fire. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can see the light. Praise and I can see the light in the darkness As the darkness bows to him I can hear the roar in the heavens As the space between we're thin I can feel the ground shake beneath us As the prison walls cave in Nothing stands between us Nothing stands between us Praise you God Hallelujah. Lift your hands to your God. Praise you, Jesus. You never leave us. There's no other name. There is no other name than the name that is Jesus. Hallelujah. He was and still is and will be through it all. So come with me space between all the things unseen and this reckoning I know I'll never be alone no, I know I'll never be alone there'll be another in the fire standing next to me there'll be another in the 
battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I can see the light And I can see the light In the darkness The darkness bows to him I can hear the roar In the heavens It's the space between west and I can feel the ground Shake beneath us As the prison walls cave in Nothing stands between us Nothing stands between There'll be another in the fire Standing next to me There'll be another in the waters Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminding How good you've been to me I'll count the joy from every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy come every battles Cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be Praise you, God. You are worthy, Lord.
Let everything praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know, I was was thinking and praying, and I know, and you can be seated. Thank you, worship team. And I I know we came out of a rough season Right, and I and I know for some of us we're 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 still in the midst of that rough season, and here's some assurances: we're not necessarily promised smooth sailing. I'm going to use some nautical references, Captain Bob. Let me know if I mess it up. We're not promised smooth sailing. If we stop, we're going to see a lot of beauty and a lot of power. But we know the captain. We know who's in control. We're just promised the peace of Christ. And here's the thing. A lot of it is our perspective. I have a friend, and you've heard me preach this before, but I've never heard him say, I'm in a valley. You know what he would say? If he was struggling, Mike Batari, you probably know, you've heard these phrases. He used to say, I'm between mountaintops, brother. No matter what this dude was going through, he wasn't in a valley. He was just between mountaintops. Because he knows, because he knew Jesus. So I'm excited. And I've seen, and we've seen, yes, there's been a lot of struggle. There's been a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. But you know what? Some of the things we put our certainty in and our focus upon are things we shouldn't have. And so if we get a little shaken up, if we need to recalibrate and reorder and reprioritize and maybe take a look at what it is we're pursuing, then good. I know I need that. I don't know about you, but I know I need that. 
And so I'm excited, you know, we're doing some tech stuff, and for those of you who, you know, have been, you know, watching at home the last couple weeks, I haven't preached, Pastor Jamie has, but I've been back there annoying you with my overlays and my camera, but we're, we're playing, we're, but we're trying to get it good, and we're getting better, and, and uh, just a hand for Damien, for the whole RAF, the tech team back there, Kathy, I mean, a lot of moving pieces, and, uh, you know, because for some folks, church is, is at home, we want to make that a good experience for them, and so it's important, and so we're excited about that, and again, I apologize for all the little, uh, Becky was like, what are you doing? What was that? I was like, hey, 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 we're testing, honey, it was testing. It was all in the name of science. Leave me alone. Okay. I'm um, sorry. Uh, another exciting announcement, and uh, you know, Pastor Jamie and I have been uh, working with Izzy and, and his family for a while, uh, walking closely with them, love them, have a real uh, heart uh, for them, and, and just really excited um, by uh, their passion for ministry, by their alignment. So we've invited them onto the leadership team. Um, so uh, this past uh, Thursday would have been their first time joining us. Michelle's had some surgery. You want to keep her in prayer. She's recovering, but we're just excited. So the leadership team's expanded a little. Izzy and Michelle are going to now be part of that. And, uh, you know, as we, as we go forward and try and sense what the Lord's doing, you know, new, fresh perspectives, you know, if you know who your leadership team is, you know, Jeff, you know, and myself and Pastor Jamie and Darren, we're different people, different backgrounds, Gary White, different experiences. So there's value to that, different generations. And so we're excited. We want to welcome them. We're grateful for their heart to serve. You know, when I talked to Izzy and kind of just got a sense if that was something he'd even have an interest in, he said, I have an interest in doing whatever I can do to serve you guys in the Lord. And that's exactly, you know, that's the heart. And so we're grateful and, and so we want to welcome them. And so with that, absolutely. Can we, can we just give them a round of applause? It's weird when you can't plan when people aren't going to be here, you know, but. Well, this is my first sermon of the new year. As you know, I was able to take the last couple weeks off and rest a bit. But I prayed about our journey this coming year. And again, I'm excited. I really am. I'm excited to see what God's already begun to do. Because like that song says, he's never not working, right? Even if we can't see it, even if we can't sense it. And I, I don't know about you, and, and again, you hate to admit this stuff, but you know, you go through these struggles, you get bumped and bruised, and you get kicked around a little bit, and... It's good for me when that happens. It's good for me to get shaken up a little bit out of my comfort zone and, and not forget my reliance upon the Lord. Because I don't know about you, when things start to go good, I kind of hit autopilot, and I'm like, you know, it's good. And I'm not saying don't rest out of season. That's not. But sometimes I think we can, we, can be, we can be comfortable with what the Lord has done, and we can miss out on what he wants to do. Amen? And so... Um, Francis Chan says this, we never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. I would say probably attentiveness more than pursuit. I think sometimes we're just so unaware, we're going so fast, we don't stop and see God working, the Spirit working. We try to do stuff and ask you know, the Spirit and God and other people to align instead of looking at what is the Lord doing, where are opportunities that I can come alongside and serve? You know, I, I understand, and we all have desires, and sometimes we're able to, you know, get in that perfect niche, but when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'd like to do this specific thing, I mean, sometimes it's helpful, but when somebody, somebody says, I just want to be part of this thing, I just want to serve, then amen, we'll find a spot, 
And you know what I found? As time goes on, those people, everybody finds their niche. And so I would encourage you, you know, the, the idea of a space, it's, it's just an opportunity to be more effective and efficient, to run more groups and have more meetings. I would love to do like a Sunday school, like a teaching. We would love to have Bible study. Like, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things. And so just, again, pray. But it's not just about writing the checks. It's about being involved, you know, showing up to these meetings. You know, when we were having prayer meetings once a month, and we had 200 people in the church. Eight people were showing up on the prayer meetings. And I get it. You know, we're busy, but the thing we need, and this is it, right? This is what we, we know as Christians. That thing we need, that thing that can nourish us, especially in the middle of the week, the enemy wants to take that from us. The enemy wants to keep us weak and in the flesh, and, and we need that. We need to, to grow together. And, you know, we've, I've read this quote so many times recently, but I want to read it again because it's going to just tie into... Some of this stuff is going to be newer material. Some of it is just we're going to look at the same themes as we look at the coming year in, in a little bit of a different way. But we're going to kind of refocus and calibrate and remember. And so famously, Augustine said, You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I love that because I feel like I can start any ministry conversation there because you don't meet people and you don't sit down with people and you don't say, Hey, are you feeling restless? And have them say, no, not at all. You have them go, yeah. And sometimes they don't even have language for it. They don't even understand. You know, they haven't even stopped. Boy, am I restless. Boy, am I, am I longing. Boy, am I kind of uncertain and, and just kind of wavering. You know how many conversations I have had with people that are in that place on the, on the spiritual, on the sand, and here we are looking at a million other things that may be good things to look at, but they're not primary things, and we're all distracted, and there are people who are, who are looking at the world and going, wait, everything I thought I could put my, my faith in, it's, I'm, I'm shaking. And we know Jesus, and we're too busy fighting about all this other stuff to have these conversations. And so my favorite, probably my favorite passage of Scripture, the words of Jesus himself come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Darren likes to make fun of me and say, rest is my spiritual gift. I'll say lack of rest is his, you know, balance, yeah. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now see, this, this, this rest, this, this, this ongoing rest and peace involves us learning from Jesus. And a yoke means we're going to be controlled by something. And there's not an option to not be controlled. You can't not have a yoke. You can just pick whether that yoke is your flesh and your sin or Jesus. And so what motivates you and what causes you to make decisions and, 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 and do certain things, what, what motivates you? What is behind that? Because Jesus isn't just saying, come to me and find rest, and we can kick back on the couch and that's it. He's saying, learn from me. Move as I move, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That means that as we become part of him, as he invites us into his presence, we become gentle and lowly at heart. But my yoke is easy and my burden's light. See, we kind of like the beginning and we like the end, we just don't like the middle. We like, come to me if you're tired, and we like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't like learn from me. 
Well, like Jesus, everything was good with the comfort stuff. I just don't know if I want your yoke upon me. Here's what I want, Jesus. I want the comfort, and I want the rest, but I want to keep my yoke upon me, which is success or which is whatever my yoke is, my, my relationship, whatever it is. I want to do my own thing. I want to build my own kingdom. You know, we had the sweatshirts, right, and the T-shirts made up, and we talked about this idea of upward and inward and outward, and I want to revisit that. How do we live in a way, Christians, that honor God, that is salt and light to those around us, that, that shines the truth of Christ with boldness, with his power, with his presence at work in the world? How do we do that in a way and in a world that is increasingly hostile to even the, the language of Christianity? That, that, that the very language of culture has been hijacked to words mean different things now. And if you look philosophically and you look at and you study and, and, and the academic institutions now, this is a very deliberate thing. This is not some fringe. We, we can see it clearly. Sociologists, that words, when you, when you ask people how they feel about certain things, that words, people don't even have the same definition. So we are increasingly talking past each other. I always, I always have to say, whenever something gets me angry, when I'm really angry, I always have to stop and ask myself, what's really at the core of my anger? So I want to look at our own walks with Jesus, our primary thing in light of recent events, Jamie's very good sermon, and in light of Jesus' invitation that we just read. Because for many of us in, in the church, our problem, and I indict myself, But a lot of our problem is we spend an inordinate amount of time focusing on others, sometimes others outside the church, which it always, I, I'm still kind of fascinated by the fact that we look at people who are non-believers and we go, they're behaving like non-believers. <laughs> yeah, I know, I get that. It's the people in the church. It's our own. It's let's start with us. So here's the thing. We spend an inordinate amount of time focusing on others. And, 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 and if, if we do that, Follow, follow me here. I'm gonna, we're gonna, if we do that, we're not prepared to do that well in any ministerial way if we don't spend enough time focusing on the inward and almost no time focusing on the upward. And that's usually, if you, if you look at people, and again, I indict myself, if you look, you spend most of your time looking at everybody else, then some of the time looking in and almost no time looking up. And that's the pattern. That's the way that the world wants to take you. That's the way the enemy wants to take you. And I think we're convinced that our intellect or targeted actions or our influence or our finances or our votes or our experts or our officials, our institutions, or dare I say, even our churches, simply by existing, are going to affect the change we want to see. And here's the thing, there will be varying degrees of success and failure in all of those worthy endeavors. But they are human pursuits, they are secondary matters for God's people, for God's children. Our posture must be one of humility and service and love. And we stand boldly in our convictions, we stand boldly in the truth of the gospel, but we must learn to do it with grace and civility, or I believe we've given up not just the high road, but the high calling. 
to preach the only gospel that has the power to change human hearts. And those human hearts are the ones that lead and guide and decide. And all of them, everyone must contend with God one day, as we ourselves must also do. So this morning, I want to look at some principles that should guide our daily lives. Our relationship with God must just be that. that. It must be a relationship. In relationships, they have ups and downs. They have, you know, times when, when there is good communication and times when they're not. But you, you, if you're committed to it, then you continue to pursue. And so this morning, I want to look at that. Are we just talking to people about someone we don't even know? You ever have, you know, you ever have conversations with somebody and they're like a Christian and like, you know, by name kind of? And you're like, eh. And I'm not, I don't mean that in a, I know it's, there's no way to that not be judgmental. But you know what I'm saying? There's a difference between people who, you know, they seem so mad and angry. They're like, yeah, I, you know, I'm a believer. And then there's people who there's just something, something about them. There's just something. And it's not, I don't mean, you know, somebody's just by good nature. I mean, there's some light. There's something deeper. And so I want to look. I want us to look up, look in, and look out. Time's precious. I just did a funeral yesterday. One of the youth group guys lost his dad, one of the kids. 30 was, yesterday would have been his 39th birthday. See, tomorrow's not promised. We got all these plans about our spiritual lives and what we're going to do next year and in five years and in two weeks. Tomorrow's not promised. How can we make the most of the time we have? The only answer to that question is to make the most of our walk with God. You know, you don't have to look around to see people who just carelessly kind of live their lives just like everyone else in response to things that happen. Instead of being grounded in the fact that I am a vessel for God to use today and how effective I am going to be for him is going to depend on, first of all, how aware I am that he's in everything and every interaction and it's all planned and how submitted and surrendered I am and obedient I am when I, even when, it go, when I go, I don't know, Lord, that's going to be a little uncomfortable. Our problem isn't that we don't hear, the, hear from God enough. Our problem is we don't have the faith to move when we do. One day we will all have to stand before the creator of this universe and the question that demands an answer is this. Will this God be your heavenly father? Will you be received as a forgiven child or will you be dismissed and rejected by his perfect justice? And I say this at the outset and this is why I believe that Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings fundamentally are for corporate worship and equipping the saints. Sunday mornings are, are primarily to equip us believers for the work of ministry. So I'm going to start with a foundational truth. Because if I just go to you and I talk about spiritual discipline and I talk about you know, habits and patterns and I talk about ways of living, but you're not redeemed, but you haven't given your life to Jesus, by, but you haven't been given spiritual eyes to see, it's just religion. To make the most of your walk with God, it's essential that you know and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Apart from Christ, there is no walk with God. C.S. Lewis said it like this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. 
If we want the rest that Jesus promised, we take the yoke that Jesus provides and we learn from him. Apart from Christ, there's no saving relationship with God. There's no peace. Certainly, there's nothing like Paul talks about. Peace that surpasses understanding, not based on what's happening. To know the peace of Christ in the midst of this, that doesn't depend on everything, but only depends on the Christ in us. So I urge you, as my primary call, and I preach to those of you who haven't trusted Jesus, and again, every time I preach, I, I, don't, pre, I don't qualify, I don't know, the Holy Spirit's going to deal. I've seen people who have been in the church for 50 years, and I don't know if they're converted. I've seen other people that are sold out, you know, two weeks into the thing. So I don't know. But before Paul shares the gospel with us, I think it's important, we're so familiar with, you know, Paul sharing the gospel in Romans, and we're going to talk about that. But before he does that, this is what he says, and I think it's pertinent. Because Paul's reminding Israel, I just heard the voice of my mother-in-law. I'm getting all excited. And Shelly says, I sound like I'm yelling. So I just heard my mother-in-law just be like, don't yell. You know? See? I'm just like, this is what happens. All right. I'm, gonna, I'm excited, right? This is, so this is what Paul says, brothers. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. This is Paul praying. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now I'm going to go into that for a minute and explain what's happening. Despite Israel's lack of faith in God's act in Christ, Paul's not abandoning hope. He's talking to the religious people and he's going, look, you have a zeal but the zeal's not based on what Christ has done. The zeal's kind of based on you guys and your system. And that's kind of not the point of the whole entire Messiah thing. He's saying that Israel must recognize that the Messiah's arrival in the person of Jesus Christ means the termination of Mosaic law as the criteria for understanding oneself. It's no longer about how religious you can be. It's about this primary relationship with Jesus. And why am I telling you that before we talk about the gospel that Paul preaches? Because the church does the same thing. If you look like us and you understand the right things, and again, I'm not, please, you know me, I'm not discounting knowledge. You need knowledge. You've got to understand who God is, who Christ is revealed in the Bible. But you can't miss who Christ is on the pages. And so faith in God's saving action in Jesus Christ takes precedence over any other legal claim. But it's not just about the Jews anymore. That salvation has come to all, not by what we do, not by what group we're a part of. And so we know who Jesus is, but we put our faith in ourselves. So Paul makes clear here, before he, in verse 9, says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Not you might, not perhaps, but you will be saved. But with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What the enemy has always done is sought to divide what God has united. Our primary calling, first of all, we're human beings first. All of us created in the image of God. And then our primary calling is God's children to live in that new identity as Christians first. And everything else, second. And in verse 17, so faith comes right from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that's the good news of the gospel. If we talk about living and focusing upward and inward, it's not, it's not some abstract theory. It's not if you do this, you're somehow, it's not, it's not magic. It's the object of our faith that is the power, not, the, not how strong our faith is. You can have a lot of, lot of faith in a three-legged chair, and it's not going to hold you. We are by choice and by action an enemy of God. And only through Christ we are reconciled into his presence. And so that's it. That's, that's step one. Terms are simple to understand, but tough to live out. If you're a Christian, here it is, a life for a life. That's it. Jesus gave his life for you to have a new life, not a better old life, an entirely different focus, a change of allegiance. He wants you to give back to him the life he gave to you. And if you're not actively fighting daily to do that, if you're not actively fighting daily to say, how can I surrender to the will of God in my life, you're not walking with Jesus. You might know who Jesus is. You might be a Christian, but you're not walking with Jesus. You're not going to be effective. You're going to be like the potter. You know, you're going to be put on a side instead of used of God. And, he, and he, here's, here's my passion. Here's my heart. I am so convinced. The other day, Jamie and I sat down with the guy. We had a meeting. It was like three hours went by because the meeting was how to like really care for and, and present Christ to broken people. And, and it, before you know it, it just went by. You know why? Because I am so excited, not just when people just come to believe the idea of Christianity, but when people encounter the person of Jesus Christ. When people's lives and marriages and, and families and, and just everything just radically change as a shift because they come to know Jesus. Because that's what it's supposed to do. An encounter with Jesus doesn't leave you unfazed. Walking with Jesus takes intentionality then. Because we are either walking with culture. Again, pay attention to this because it's really, it's, what, it's kind of the default. You don't have to work hard for this to happen. You're either floating along, you're either walking with culture actively, or you're floating along reacting, maybe building your own kingdom, doing what everybody else is doing. If you're doing what everybody else is, by default you're in competition with everybody else. The different way to, to view your life then, how can I help this person build? Because we're all building Jesus' kingdom. How can I help that brother or sister? See, walking with Jesus takes intentionality. We know it's not easy. Paul tells us about the struggle in Romans 7. Paul's like, yeah, all the stuff I keep doing, wrong stuff. Don't want to do it. All the stuff I don't do is the stuff I know I should do. Oh, and here's the thing. The rules, the law, I believe it's good. I'm convinced it's good. It's perfect. I'm wretched. I'm the problem. And then what does he do? Say, well, I'm just going to submit to my flesh. Well, what am I going to do now? Let me mope like everybody and, you know. No, he says, thank you. Praise God for Jesus Christ. And he says in Romans 7, 4, So my brothers and sisters, 
Ready? So my brothers and sisters, so my, you know, so fellow heirs to the promise, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He said you died to that so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we bear fruit for God. I mean, that's like everything right there, right? So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So the question then is, who do do we still belong to? Do we belong to the law? Do we belong to some religious tradition or exercises? If we do enough of the religious stuff we think we're supposed to do, God's going to like us more than he likes somebody else? Do we belong to our past? Is Is that the yoke? For some people, that's still the yoke. And here's the thing, and that's like a whole nother sermon, but man, my heart breaks because some people are so convinced that they deserve that yoke. I mean, that's a, that's a whole nother. But where, what kind of yoke do you have on you? What, what's, what's controlling you? Where are you learning? Is it just your flesh or is it Jesus? And order means there's a reason we're dead to the law and alive to Christ. It means that what the law could never do, Christ did. It's always about Jesus. It's always about walking in freedom in him. And and I understand the push for rules and law, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have them, but you have way too much. Anybody who thinks a law is a problem, if you, I mean, (laughs) that's not how it works. People don't, you know, bad people don't care what the laws are. They're saying we don't follow that, but the only thing that's going to change our institutions, the greatest institutions, and, and, Human history is when a heart gets redeemed. That's it. Not the greatest intellect, the greatest capability, the greatest mind, the greatest experience. None of those things matter. So the way that you change the system is you change the hearts. The gospel calling is the high calling. You know why I have no faith in men? Because I am one. And I've known humans all my life, and I've known some good humans. I think I've, I've known better humans than most. And you know what? They always let me down. And the humans that I'm on their list, I'm sure I have let them down, you know, beyond. Because we are sinful, fallen, wretched creatures. Pablo's going to love this. He's probably, I'm probably saying some of this wrong, but we started watching through, you know, with everything with Coke, we went through like the Indiana Jones series, and then we went through, you know, all these kind of movies with the kids. And so we started watching like The Lord of the Rings. And so we're watching through it, and we just watched the part where the Elf King's talking about how men stopped being great because they, they sought the power of the ring. And now they were shadow riders, and they are slaves to the thing they pursue. Wow. Do you know that you and I are slaves to the thing we pursue? To the things we pursue, we are. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to, to view that. I knew I was in bondage way before I encountered Jesus. I knew. There was no question. See, the nice thing about when you really get to the end of your sin, and no matter what that is, when, when the wheels come off and there's no more pretending, because it's easy to pretend when you're in, in the middle of it all. And keep it together. The worst thing that ever happened is I continued in the life I was in 10 years longer than I needed to because it didn't fall apart. 
But I knew for sure that I had become a slave to all the things I pursued. And the depressing thing to me was I was convinced that everything I pursued was going to lead me to freedom. I was sure of that. And before I encountered the person of Christ, I was at the place where I said, that didn't do it, that didn't do it, that didn't do it, it just didn't do it. And the realization that it didn't do it made it even more profound in my life. And at that place, I encountered not the idea of Christianity, but the person of Jesus Christ and everything changed. And so here's my rallying call to each of us, church that we radically walk daily with Jesus, that we stop spending 90% of our time and focus pointing out everything wrong that everybody else is doing until we've made it real, real clear that we're focusing on our own walk and our own hearts first. Jesus said that very thing. Not that you don't. Not that you don't get involved, but you make sure. And you have no ministerial, you have no spiritual capital if you're not spending time with Jesus, if you're not looking at your own heart. Don't say anything, because your best advice isn't going to help somebody. The best you have, the best thing you can do, and I've said this before, whenever I do weddings, I talk about it, and, and, you know, and, and you've heard me preach it before, but when I went, when I was with my wife, and we decided we were going to get married, at some point she said to me, if you want to love me the way I need to be loved, you have to love God more than me. And when she said that to me, I was like, what? First of all, I was like, wait, wait, hold on, say it again slower. Let me write this down. Then I understood, because at first I was like, well, I kind of don't. I mean, you're kind of, you know, you're you're, you've rescued me, you stood by me, you're, you're a picture of God in my life, I, I love you, and I thought that that was romantic and it was good, but I was missing what she was saying was more profound, she was saying, look, I deserve you to be the best you can be, to be the best husband, the best father, she especially deserves that. And you can't do that if your walk with God is not first, if you don't love him above everything else. And that is so foundational. And I've learned that the hard way. We're called to surrender our lives daily to Christ in deed and action. In our word and in our heart daily. Not one time. This is a way of life. You know why Jesus' yoke, he says it's easy? Because as you begin to wear new patterns and habits, and my wife keeps telling me, just do it for two weeks. If you can do it for two weeks, I read somewhere it was going to be a habit. My poor wife. Just don't eat mayonnaise for two weeks. And I'm like, honey, I tried. I love the mayonnaise. We all have uh, you know, battles, kryptonite, mayonnaise, whatever. But you know why Jesus says his yoke is easy? Because as you begin to stop fighting against the very thing that's good for you, as you begin to realize that, wait a minute, not that things don't happen, but that if I'm, if I'm in the will of God, if I'm walking aware of God, and sometimes it's just that, being not so distracted that we hear that still small voice, and to be able to, to walk in that understanding of him already at work, not because life is not going to be difficult, not because there will be no trouble or suffering, in fact, Jesus tells us there will be, and suffering, in fact, will bring us closer to him, He is inviting weary travelers to a place 
of rest. He is not burdening them with rules. And here's the thing. He's inviting us, them, into a way of life that's so nourishing and fulfilling that other desires will pale in comparison. That here's the thing. Ready? Listen to this. Our desire not to sin is born of our desire for something more fulfilling to us than any sin. We just, we just fight against like the flesh and the sin and we try to do it in our, in our you know, and, and we, we fail in the flesh and we don't know. I've said before a million times, Len Ravenhill, because I love the principle, sinning man stops praying, praying man stops sinning. Don't focus on the stuff you, I mean, again, don't not focus on that, but the Pharisees had the right list of, of what to do and what not to do. Paul had the right list of what to do and what not we ought not to do. But instead, we can be a careless Christian who lives day by day with no thought of a deeper intimacy. Because that's where the hope is. That's where the joy is. It's in Christ. The joy is not in knowing about Christ. The joy is not hanging out with people who also know about Christ. The joy is when we taste and see for ourselves that the Lord is good. You can be excited about what you see God doing in somebody else's life, but when you're, when you're encountering, when, you're, when he's working, there's only strength, purpose, value, meaning, mission ultimately in Christ. And too often in our churches, there's this know nothing, feel nothing, desire nothing, life is a chore, it's boring. And I'm not saying faith is based on feelings because we know that's not it either. But I would seriously question my salvation if I did not feel and sense God's presence from time to time. The Psalms, which is what we're going to look at, we started, I read the last Psalm. Because I want us to get there. I want that to be the, the, just the posture of our heart all the time. But in order to get there, we're going to start at the beginning. And with, this is going to go for whatever. I mean for whatever, like the next couple of weeks. So you guys are like, what does he mean? So like, are we going to be here for two hours? Ruth's like, yes. Psalms is a collection of poems, and they express the emotion of the individual poet to God or about God. So it's a very emotional, reflective, convey your heart kind of a thing. And so different type of, types of psalms are written to communicate different thoughts and feelings. And so at times, authors are crying out to God in difficult circumstances. And yet, despite that, maybe because of that, Psalms encourages its readers to praise God for who he is and for what he has done. One of the, one of the, only the two Old Testament books with Proverbs that identifies containing multiple authors. Books originally titled in both Hebrew and Greek means praise songs or songs of praise. They were the ancient hymnal of God's people, poetry often set to music. And we read the ending. We read, we started with the last, with Psalm 150, which concludes with this Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord, praise the Lord. And I know that deep down inside, that that's how we want to live. I think that we long to live that way. With a zeal for life, with gratitude in our praise. But it's easy to get tired and angry and frustrated. 
And I said, you know, you knew I had a rough couple weeks. I mentioned that. Pastor Jamie, he was preaching. I had planned to take some time off after, you know, the Christmas break. And life doesn't take times off. People, you know, things happen. I'm not going to not answer. Sometimes, you know, I'll let it go to voicemail. But if I listen to voicemail, it's important, you know. So it, it, it was what it was. Good team. But it was rough. So I get it. I'm not up here preaching this to you, removed from any difficulty. And I'm walking with folks. It's, it's a struggle. But you know what? Here's the thing. I grew closer to Jesus. I mean, that's really the bottom line. That's the, that's the best news there is. I can't promise you that your week's going to be good or your month's going to be good. But I can promise you that if you're attentive and if you focus and if you're open and aware, that at the end of it, you will absolutely this is like 100%, I'm not even like 99% sure, you will say, I grew closer in my walk with the Lord because suffering purifies faith. And we try to avoid it. So if we want the result of our lives to be one of praise, which is just another way to say, it's just another way to say, offer ourselves as living sacrifices. I think that some people who've never given sacrificially in their lives in any way, have never given of their time, or, or never making a, a financial, uh, not a, just a financial, I mean, have never making a sacrificial move. And a lot of those, a lot of times people have been so wounded and so beat up and so, you know, their entire posture has been, I'm going to shoot this guy before he shoots me kind of a thing, right? Mentally. But there's some people who've never known what it's looked like to look at somebody else and say, I want them to do good. I want them to do even better than me. So I want us to look at Psalm 1, because we talk about practical application stuff, right? About the what to do and how to do it when it comes to walking with Jesus. And so I think this is going to guide us, and it's going to caution us against alternative paths. And so I want to introduce this. Again, I wanted to start kind of with a recap with some of the themes, some of the things we've been talking about. I'm going to look at everything's grounded in faith in Jesus, that we're talking to the redeemed. People put their trust in Jesus when we talk about a walk with God. It begins there. And so now, what does it look like day to day? Well, here's what it looks like. In Psalm 1, this is the beginning. Blessed is the one. So right away, you know, it's, it, you know, I, Again, my heart, same way. But everybody wants to be blessed. If I would have started the sermon and said, hey, who wants a blessing today? Who wants to be blessed? Everybody does. I say, okay, well, the Bible's going to tell you exactly what to do in order to be blessed. And we're still excited until we read it, until we look at it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. I'm going to read through the whole thing and then we're going to go through it but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So the first thing to know is the one who's called blessed is the person who has a close walk with God. The title as much as his walk daily with Jesus. So how can we make the most of our walk with God? How can it become a blessed walk? 
And I think the psalmist tells us, I think we look carefully in three directions. We ask three important questions. I read a quote the other day, and it struck me. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you are saying. Just thought, man. I'll give you an example. I wasn't going to share this, but I'll share it because it's christmas my sister wanted to come over and you know she wanted me to wear a mask so in my heart right away i'm like you're nuts <laughs> there's no way in my own house i'm gonna do that so i don't know what to tell you just you know not gonna happen and then i thought how is that in any way loving right and i thought to myself here's my sister who i love who's you know concerned and and wants to get together in a time when people can't get together and here I am with my, you know, my rebellion, my whatever, whatever. And then I read that quote. Your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you're saying. And I talked to my sister about this Jesus who gives hope and peace and joy and who calls us to be gentle and humble and not arrogant. And it's so easy to stand on where we're sure we're right and to conceive what is you know I used to tell the Teen Challenge girls all the time are you worried about winning the soul or the argument because I've won some arguments and lost some souls I know it's the Lord I understand theologically and I'll tell you there's been times where people's had conversations and had questions and I thought it was hopeless and they just encountered Jesus the Holy Spirit surrendered their heart and, and they just it's not what you and I can do. It's not how clever we are in our delivery of the gospel. But boy, our posture speaks volumes. See, there's a tension for people to figure out how to balance righteous living with, with being like the Pharisees. Because we're really good Christians at pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong. And we're really good at allowing what happens in our own lives to continue to be minimized. I've heard, you know, you've heard me say before, I have a friend who used to say, we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge everybody else by their actions. With ourselves, we give, us, we give ourselves all kind of leeway because we know we intend. Boy, if I live the life I intended to live, the goal is to live the life God intends for us to live. If we hated the sin in our own lives a portion as much as we hated the sin in our neighbor's lives, can you imagine how our lives would look? And so we're called to live set apart and to see the world as those we are here to serve and rescue and for the Lord to redeem. So we're not called to retreat into our churches or our homes or our social circles and spend our times with people who view the entire world just like ourselves, so we can not only convince ourselves we're right, but feel comfortable in that. The Pharisees weren't wrong in their theology necessarily. They are wrong in their application and their posture. Their hearts weren't changed. That's the best thing religion can do. It's become some kind of a moral improvement program where you go up and down and everybody will judge everybody by how good you do on the Moral improvement program. Same thing I preach all the time. Same message. Effectiveness is tied to surrender. Every great man or woman of God I've known and seen God work 
It had little to do with their ability and their background. It had everything to do with them just going, I am so done with me trying to do me. Jesus, have your way. And I've seen, I mean, miracles in this room. Miracles. So what we have here in Psalm 1, and I'm going to just give me a few more minutes. I'm going to wrap up this part. We'll continue another week. I just want to make a couple more points, and, I'll, and then I'll call the worship team up. We have a plea for a deeper, more solid, more productive walk with God. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So the first point is look around. How are you being influenced? Because there's only two possible ways you can be influenced. Influenced with godly influence or with ungodly influence. So we look around and we ask ourselves the first question. And we shared a few weeks ago maybe about Ruth was just kind of focusing on, you know, she said, I'm just going to take whatever it was, like a month, and just like be hyper-focused on what I allow in. You know, what worship music, what, what music, what, what I watch, you know, just to, to kind of just sanctify herself, right? In that, remove distractions, recalibrate, refocus on Jesus. We've said before that godly influence is everywhere. You don't have to teach kids to be bad. You never have to show them that. You never have to show kids how to be selfish or how not to, right? They just get that, default. You have to show them to be good. That we are by nature children of wrath. I was talking to somebody the other day that we were having a discussion about belief in God. I said, we're the only creature. We have the ability to choose against our inclination. Animals don't do that. They have desires, inclinations, that's it. We have the ability to choose against that. That's unique. We should stop and we should ask why. That should be noteworthy. Left to our own devices, we will choose evil. We will choose self. We will walk in the flesh. And we can do that in the religious institution, in a religious setting. It's only in Christ, it's only walking with him that any of this becomes real in your life. You can come here a, a thousand times unconverted and it's just information. Sometimes your emotion may be higher or lower or information, but it's not. Until you say, Lord, I, I give my heart to you, Jesus, right now. And if you're listening, if you're watching, if you're here, to just say maybe for the first time, Lord, I surrender. And for most of us, we've maybe surrendered our heart and our lives to Jesus in, in, in that moment. But now we need to say, Lord, I've, I've taken my will back. You're trying to sanctify me. You're trying to use me. And I keep fighting against the yoke of Jesus in my life. And right now, I need to surrender to that yoke. I need to believe that it's an easy yoke, that Jesus is gentle and humble at heart. I need to believe that I'll find rest. I mean, I think that if the worship team wants to come up, I think that's a great place to stop. I think we just need to be aware and, and, and acknowledge before we look next week at, at Psalm 1. I would encourage you to read it, read it this, this, this week. But before we kind of break that down and, and focus a little bit more on what happens if we're not attentive and if we don't focus on where we're walking, maybe we just need to stop and ask, ask if, am I surrendered right now, Lord? As the worship team comes up, I'm going to pray. And I want, I want our prayer to begin by asking that question. We want to get to the place. I believe that. Where every day, where everything that has breath, praise the Lord. But there's so much fear and anxiety and frustration. And Lord, increase our faith even right now. 
Father, give us a boldness to walk in your will, God. Help us to, to every single person that, that's hearing this message right now to stop and really say, have I surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I put my trust and faith in him for salvation? And then am I really day by day focusing on surrendering, of, of giving it all to him, of, of being aware and allowing, Lord, today I give my life to you. Do with it what you will, Lord. And when we do that, when we're, when we're aware and attentive, what a blessing it is to see the Lord using us, even our past, even our mistakes, even our darkest days to shine his light. And so, Father, we repent of our anger and bitterness, of our, of our jealousy, of our, of our focus on everybody else's heart and everybody else's sin on our just a million ways that the enemy's distracted us. We repent, Lord, and we ask now that you just that you receive us, God, that your Holy Spirit begin to do a, a powerful work in each of our hearts. Chip away the past. Chip away the anger and the bitterness and the, and the hurt, God. Remove hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh. Father, have your way in the rest of the service, in our lives, in our church. All we want to do is bring you glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand?
that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Praise you, God. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the you God in this place Lord that your name be lifted up in this room and in our hearts God Lord help us to follow you God not only how we speak but God let our actions follow you let our hearts follow you let our kindness follow you God instill us with that peace as we take upon your light burden God and we just hand over our heavy mess to you Lord and yet you say come God, let us just always put you first. Make important things importance, God, and secondary things down at the bottom of your list, Lord. Change our hearts. Make them new. We love you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 